Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. And you are the Political Director, Rick, which is why it is so appropriate to have you on this podcast today. Oh, thank you, John. Uh, I mean, Thanks for having is, me. This is kind of a big deal. Um, we have uh, the confluence of a couple of, uh, of, of major events. We obviously have the Georgia Senate races, um, a possible clean sweep for Democrats, uh, winning two Senate seats. The Democrats, frankly, if you had asked us uh, you know, a month and a half ago, thought they did not have much of a chance to win either of them, let alone both. Um, and that Republicans thought were going to be relatively easy, e- easy going. And then we have uh, the shenanigans uh, surrounding the Electoral College vote uh, and a lot of pressure on Vice President Pence. Uh, so, so first of all, uh, let, let's start with the, the Senate races. And, and Rick, I, I got to tell you, uh, over the course of the vote coming in last night, I was on the phone with various uh, Republicans uh, close to the leadership in the House and the Senate. And I was, uh, was getting an earful anger, Republican anger at what was happening, what was transpiring in Georgia. Uh, people close to, particularly close to Mitch McConnell, um, saying that these two Senate races should have been easy. Uh, the, uh, the, the campaign playbook wrote itself. Uh, you need a check on the, on the power of Joe Biden coming in. You, know, you need a Republican Senate. They couldn't make that argument because Trump was refusing to concede, um, and then Trump kneecapping the, the, the Republican senators, uh, variously suggesting that voting would be, um, you know, that you shouldn't even vote in, in, in Georgia because it's all rigged, or uh, taking them out on the COVID relief bill, which they were boasting about supporting and calling it, uh, you know, uh, a, a terrible bill uh, to... Uh, igniting an all-out civil war among Republicans in Georgia, going after the governor, the secretary of state, in, in, in just incredibly harsh terms, finally going and doing a rally where he spent more time complaining about his own election uh, than about the two Republican senators. I mean, really angered. They believe Republicans um, uh, who were actively working these Senate races uh, on, on, on behalf of, of Republican leadership in Congress, uh, believe that this should have been two easy wins and maybe translating into two losses for one reason and one reason only, and that's because Donald Trump screwed it up for them in Georgia. So, uh, John, the, the name I've heard from a couple of Republicans today is Bubba McDonald. Do you know who Bubba McDonald is, John? Remind me, please. Bubba McDonald is the only Republican to win statewide in Georgia uh, this week. Uh, (laughs) He was reelected to the Georgia Public Service Commission, and he won with more votes than either of the Senate candidates. So the idea that people would show up and vote down ballot, but either not vote for or vote for the Democrat up higher on the ballot is extraordinarily rare. I mean, no no one, this guy's 82 years old, Georgia Public Service Commission, no one's paying attention to this race, but Republicans, enough Republicans showed up to say, okay, we want that guy, but not those two. And the way that, that David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler campaigned, uh, they campaigned as loyal lieutenants in the Trump army. They took pages right out of the Trump playbook. They remade policy positions to align with Trump. They made clear 
that they were going to, to they were trying to return to Washington to continue to keep the flame alive for Trump. And in fact, Kelly Loeffler, uh, even today, is going to object to her own state's votes in the state of Georgia. They made clear this was about Trump. Trump, of course, made clear this was about Trump. And for all of that, two political newcomers appear likely to, to, to join the Senate. Uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock, uh, the pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, uh, and John Ossoff, a political political newcomer, 33 years old, um, never held public office. Neither of them had won election before. He's on the precipice of victory, although we haven't projected that race yet. And with that, victory would come majority in the Senate. So if you're looking at the toll of the Trump years, um, losing the presidency, losing the House uh, two years ago, and then, of course, losing it again in the, in the voting uh, two months ago, and now it appears that Republicans will lose the Senate as well. You know, for the guy that is the uh, portrays himself as the ultimate winner, this is not a good track record. Uh, this is not a good electoral track record. And then, of course, what we've seen over the course of the last uh, a few weeks here, uh, the the shenanigans regarding the COVID relief bill, where he had to cave and got nothing to show for it, the override of the defense bill veto, uh, what we're seeing transpire in terms of the electoral college uh, a challenge, uh, failing dramatically, the failure in the in the Senate race in Georgia. This is a defeat on November 3rd, followed by a string of rather embarrassing defeats for Donald Trump. And yet, and yet, he still remains uh, the large power looming over the Republican Party. I had uh, uh, one uh, top Republican uh, last night uh, tell me that there will now be a an all-out war, a, a war uh, between those who uh, you know, want to follow the lead of Donald Trump, who say that he is the one that, um, that that is the energy in this party. He is the one that has the undying support of of the uh, of the now Republican base, and will want to follow his lead, take his cues. And those who say that that doing that will only lead to further disaster for the party. Uh, we saw Eric Trump uh, go on Twitter last night saying that he was going to. Uh, participate in primary challenges against every single Republican who doesn't stand with his father in objecting uh, to the electoral votes, uh, Biden's electoral votes uh, in the floor of the joint session of Congress. That's an incredible statement. Obviously, the president himself has made all-out threats, you know, explicit threats against Tom Cotton, against John Thune, uh, you know, and not just members of Congress, but of course against uh, 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 Kemp, Governor Kemp in, in Georgia, Ducey in Arizona. I mean, he's guns a-blazing, uh, taking fire at everybody. But the one that I think is the most fascinating is who? Who is the one? That is the most fascinating? Tom, Tom Cotton? Oh, no, wait, no. I Wait, higher than that. No. How, uh, how, let's, how, yes, about the guy, how about the guy that, um, that Donald Trump believes should be vice president for another four years? Would it be that guy? Yes, yes, yes. So Mike Pence... Um, has there been a more loyal lieutenant to no. Donald Trump? Maybe. No, no, no. Maybe, no. maybe. But I'll tell you this. Has there been a more visibly loyal no. lieutenant? And the answer Never is any daylight. No. Nothing. Nothing publicly or even, even privately. I mean, nothing, nothing. Please just think about this. Um, Mike Pence has been by Trump's side for everything. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say four years. I'm going to say four and a half years because it goes all the way back through the campaign. Uh, you know, the, the, the Access Hollywood tape, not even then was there a peep, uh, you know, from Mike Pence. Um, throughout all of the ups and downs and, and embarrassing episodes uh, of, of, of the Trump presidency, 
whether it be Charlottesville or the disastrous first travel ban, uh, the uh, child separation, um, the uh, the Ukraine phone call. I mean, the the, uh, the handling of COVID. There has never been a hint, even a hint of disagreement or daylight between Mike Pence and Donald Trump. He has always stood by his side. He has always talked about those broad shoulders and that big heart and the leadership of Donald J. Trump. That's been Mike Pence. He's been there for him through everything. And now Pence has a constitutional uh, duty to, uh, to, to do something very simple, which is a, announce the count of the electoral votes. All they're doing is counting votes that have already been sent in and certified by the states. This is not, Pence has- right, The envelope please, right. Yeah, the Pence has no authority here, for God's sake. And uh, I can tell you this, I, I, I want to be really clear about this. Um, Pence has, made, has, has, has informed the president uh, that, that he does not actually have the power to overturn the results. That's a pretty obvious statement. Um, and that fact was reported. We reported it on, um, on ABC. It was reported in the New York Times. And Trump put out a statement overnight as the, uh, as the, as the disaster was, uh, Republican disaster was emerging in Georgia, um, saying that the story was fake news, totally untrue, that, that, that he and Pence are in total agreement, that he has uh, the authority to, to uh, you know, to challenge these, uh, uh, to, to reject electoral, fraudulent electoral votes. Well, guess what? Pence never told him that. They're not, they're not in agreement. Pence told him the opposite. The statement was a lie. And it is setting up, we are already seeing take place on Twitter, and that is Donald Trump basically taking down his own vice president. And I will tell you this as well, that even before that statement went out um, from, from the president of the United States, I have been speaking to uh, Republican allies of the president who have been talking with him over the past several days, uh, and he has been fuming. He has been fuming about Pence because he knows that Pence will not try to do the impossible. Um, and, you know, those that are close to Pence are fearful. His entire, he, he's put all the chips on the Donald Trump, you know, uh, a square here. I mean, it's all on, on Trump. His entire future and present is based on being the loyal lieutenant for Donald Trump. And now Trump is going to come out and attempt to destroy him. I mean, what does that tell you about loyalty and Donald Trump? Well, I think it's told you what a lot of Republicans learned the hard way over the last four plus years, that loyalty is a one-way street. And what's fascinating is that this, this civil war in the Republican Party now is four or five years in the making. Uh, there were hints of this throughout that campaign. And you, know, you mentioned Access Hollywood. That was one of the moments where there were plenty of times where Republicans were of distancing themselves early on with President Trump and uh, basically laying the groundwork for him to to be a less than successful president, less than successful with the base, maybe not a true conservative. But then uh, they basically all fell into line. And those who didn't got rounded out of office uh, with very, very few exceptions. Uh, the, the Trump party was the Republican party. The Republican party was the Trump party. Now the divisions are back. And the fact that the president is at a political low point is what's driving this, in, in my view, more than principle. And I think for Mike Pence, yeah, he's not going to violate the Constitution or violate the law in trying to do this. But what is freeing Republican lips and freeing Republicans from uh, from standing by President Trump right now is the fact that he 
his, his political influence, while still considerable, is ebbing. The fact that Georgia is going to have two Democratic senators, along with the state of Arizona, the fact that he lost by the same margin that that uh, that he beat Hillary Clinton by in the Electoral College. So d- d- Republicans are still going to be caught by this because I think even less than being afraid of President Trump, they're probably afraid of President Trump's voters, uh, not knowing where they're going to land. But uh, I don't. I don't view this as a an eleventh hour conversion to principle so much as the political reality that he's going to be gone from two weeks. He's no longer going to be president, and Republicans are going to have to deal with the aftermath. Well, Rick, you know, one thing that I think is important in all of this is you have started to see uh, through this process some of the most formidable voices in the Republican Party come out and say enough. Uh, you saw Mitch McConnell. Uh, tell uh, Republican senators that his vote to uh, against the efforts to challenge the the uh, the electoral uh, votes of, of these various states uh, will be the most important that he has cast in his career. This is a guy who just cast votes on questions of war. Um, uh, this is a guy who's been been around for a long time, and he's saying this is his most important vote because it's a vote affirming. Uh, American democracy and the principle of a peaceful transition of power. And then uh, the other one I would just point out is Liz Cheney, um, not to mention her father, Dick Cheney, who organized the, the, the 10 secretaries of, of defense, all living secretaries of defense, including Rumsfeld, including Esper, including Mattis, uh, came in, come out to say enough is enough. Uh, the, the election is over. There is no more to go on this. And uh, so Liz Cheney came out with a 21-page memorandum outlining point for point uh, why challenging uh, uh, these electoral votes is the wrong thing to do, both in terms of conservative principles and in terms of American principles, um, and uh, and debunking some of these allegations, these wild allegations of widespread voter fraud. So let's take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we are going to be talking to one of the very uh, newest members of Congress, uh, a newly elected uh, Republican. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. We are joined now by Representative Nancy Mace, Republican of South Carolina, uh, the first Republican woman ever elected to Congress from South Carolina. Uh, She further cemented her record of shattering glass ceilings when she became the first female to graduate from the Citadel Corps of Cadets. Uh, She's part of a record-breaking number of Republican women in the House of Representatives. Representative Mace, uh, very great to have you on Powerhouse Politics. We hope this is the first appearance of many. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for having me today. It's an honor. Man, what a time to be sworn in as a newly elected member of, of, of Congress. I know. I've never seen anything like it, and I've been telling folks this is the best and worst week ever, uh, I think, in probably my tenure in Congress. Uh, the honor bestowed upon me to be sworn into office. Uh, I was here this weekend with my children. I'm a single mom, and they, they got to see me sworn in and see the office up here and, and understand how historic and important it is. And then in the same hand, um, you know, our, our republic is at stake with this vote today, the, the dangerous precedent that's being set, the unconstitutional precedent that's being set. Um, these are tremendous times, and we need to really think long and hard about what we're doing today. 
and how it impacts us as a nation. I mean, it really is. It is one of these moments uh, that we have truly never seen anything like it. And you, you come to Congress. You're you're in a, a rather storied uh, uh, seat. Uh, your your seat in South Carolina, uh, the seat that was held by by Tim Scott, um, who of course is now now in the Senate. Uh, how old are your children? Eleven and fourteen. I have two middle schoolers. <laughs> what, so, what, 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 an, what an incredible civics lesson! It is. I, I told them. It's a funny story. I told them this weekend or on Sunday we were here, and I said, "Hey guys, mommy's going to be a congresswoman today," and they go, "Cool." <laughs> that was their only reaction was cool. <laughs> so I was like, okay, typical teenagers. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's, it's, they can always put everything in perspective for you. So, right, and it's humbling. It's humbling. So have, have you have you felt any pressure to join this uh, this effort? I mean, there are. I mean, I believe we're going to see a majority of the Republicans in the House uh, vote uh, to to basically undo uh, the, the the attempt to undo the presidential election. Are you? Are, are you hearing pressure from people that wanted you to do the same thing? Yes, the, yes, the pressure is enormous. But you know, when I look at this year, I'm someone who vehemently supported President Trump in 2016. I worked for his campaign. I was one of the earliest hires on his campaign. I started in August or September of 2015. Um, I flew around the country getting him elected uh, because I believed in his policies and him as being president and he won. It was historic. And we saw many great things under his administration from lowering taxes, uh, ensuring that our economy was strong, unemployment was low, operation warp speed during uh, this pandemic that we've never faced before. And I voted for him and uh, appreciate his support. I'm grateful for his support in my own election, supported his reelection and believe he should have won. But when I came in here Sunday, I swore an oath to the Constitution. And I take that oath seriously, even when I do not like the outcome of an election, even when I hate the outcome of the election. The right measured thing to do is to support our republic. And the Constitution is very clear. It enumerates the power of selecting electors to the states, not to the Congress. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 is abundantly clear. It's literally black and white. And when you look at uh, the Electoral College Law of 1887, that's codified in Title III of the U.S. Code of Laws, it it supports the Constitution and makes it abundantly clear. Um, There's voter fraud in every election. We see it every time. Machines go down. uh, There's questionable absentee ballots. I mean, as a state lawmaker, I participated in in moderating and, and, and and changing South Carolina's own election laws that that during COVID that ensured they were safe and fair and secure elections. Um, it can be done, but um, there are questions that need to be answered. But you can adjudicate potential voter fraud in an hour-long debate on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. It's unrealistic. I think we've set expectations too high for people. There are people out there that really think the vice president can singularly overturn the election today. They think that the U.S. Congress, which is the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate, dominated by Democrats now, can overturn the results of, of, a, of an election that's been certified by all 50 states. And we just don't have the power or the authority to do that. And I don't think we want Congress to have that power or authority. I mean, imagine the consequences four years from now if we really go through with this today. 
Congresswoman, I, I, I take the point and, I, and the study that went into you making uh, making that judgment, but uh, it, it, wouldn't wouldn't you agree that it's because the president is saying so that so many people are believing this? I mean, the president is continuing to say even today that Mike Pence can himself just throw out a slate of electors and throw it into the House of Representatives or throw it back to the states. The president, in, in your mind, does he bear responsibility for creating this perception? I think there are, there are many individuals that bear the responsibility of, of setting the bar very, very high on what Congress or Vice President Pence are able to do by the rule of law or the Constitution, which is why I took a significant amount of time to read the Constitution, to read the 12th Amendment, to read Article One, uh, to read uh, Title Three of the U.S. Code. Um, and, and quite literally try to understand and, and read that. But it, it's so abundantly clear. Um, and when I look at what's happening, a lot of this, this is this is political and it's not constitutional. And we've got to take a stand. If we're going to save our country, we've got to take a stand. If we set the precedent that the Constitution doesn't mean anything, that we're going to put a Zippo lighter to it as if it's a piece of paper that doesn't mean a damn thing. Then and we give Congress the ability to overturn singularly, single-handedly overturn the Electoral College, which is not our power or authority to do. We give a Democrat majority four years from now because we just lost the Senate last night. Uh, we give Nancy Pelosi the power to do this to us in four years. And if that happens, and I have no doubt that that is a real possibility, we'll never see a Republican president again. But it's all substantiated and very clear in the Constitution. I've been making that argument and. Um, I'm going to double down on it today. It's more important than ever that we follow the rule of law. We follow the Constitution. And for states, you know, if I were a state legislator in, in, in a state that was having voter irregularities, I'd be fighting like hell right now. And we're seeing that in Pennsylvania, the re Republican senators uh, fighting hard there to try to uh, have some movement. And I think we're seeing some in Arizona and other places. But as a, someone with previous state lawmaking experience, that's the role of the state. And we can't take that role away from them. We're not allowed to. Now, if, if those states said, hey, the election is not certified, here are multiple slates of electors, then Congress would have a role. We would have a requirement to make a decision there. But that's not what's happening. And, and you just can't adjudicate it in an hour-long debate, which is what some folks are saying. They're, people really believe that, they can, that we can singularly overturn the election. And that's just not, that's just not reality. And it's devastating. Do you plan on speaking on the House floor on this topic? And if so, what's what's your message to the more than more than half of your conference that that appears ready to to join in these objections and vote to decertify? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I don't know if it will be half. Uh, I'm taking the what's I don't know what the over under is yet or what we're betting, but um, I'm going to observe and watch the debate today, um, and I'll make a decision. By I don't, I don't know how many states are going to be objected to. One of the arguments that I've also been making and I made in my op-ed today is if we're going to if, if you're going to do this, if you're going to object to certain states electors where you believe there was voter fraud, then why are we only doing it in the states that we lost? Why are we not doing it in all the other states that didn't follow their laws where we won? Um, and so um, I'm going to watch the debate. I, I will observe and see what's happening and I'll make a decision um, I don't have a decision yet on whether or not I will do that. This is this is uh, this is not the first speech I want to make on the floor of the House. Um, but if I feel compelled, depending on the way the debate is going, I hundred percent absolutely will because my country is worth is worth fighting for, and we cannot throw away the Constitution. 
This is going to be a big moment for Kevin McCarthy, uh, who's just a handful mm-hmm. of seats away from becoming Speaker of the House, Republican leader. We, we know full well where, uh, where Liz Cheney is on this. She's the number three uh, Republican uh, in the House. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know where, uh, where Scalise is. I don't, I don't know if he's announced. But, but, but Kevin McCarthy has not announced uh, what he's going mm-hmm. to do. What, what, what's your advice uh, to, uh, to Kevin McCarthy as he makes that decision about whether or not to join this objection and vote in favor of, of, of overturning uh, the, the, these, these electoral votes? One of the things that I admire about Leader McCarthy, and he's shown leadership this week, is allowing us to make the right decision for our offices, for our constituents, uh, for the, the people that we represent in our country. And he's been very open to us having dialogue about this and and working through it as best we can, providing uh, the opportunity to hear both sides of the argument, objectors and those who are going to vote to certify. Um, He's been very good about being very level-headed and even-handed with uh, with hearing both sides of the argument. And and I greatly respect that leadership, particularly uh, during this time. And, and And quite frankly, I don't hold it against any member of my Republican conference by the way that they vote today. I do think that we need to be very, very careful uh, when we're making this decision and understanding the grave, grave consequences. And that's the message that I am sending to my colleagues in Congress, uh, to my constituents, that we uh, have an enormous responsibility. And if we throw this thing away, um, we're going to lose everything that we've worked so hard for over the last four years. Um, and we're going to throw away our country. And I'm just not personally willing to do that. But it, given that, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't in your view it be wrong for leadership to support something like this? Wouldn't it, that that's the precedent? I mean, look, regard no no offense to you as a, as, a, as a freshman in congresswoman, but if if Kevin McCarthy supports this, you you have to assume that Democrats in in a similar position under your logic would do the same in four years. They would say, look, oh, the they absolutely the, the would. Republican leader did it, and I and I wouldn't put it past Nancy Pelosi to say that they, they we set the Republicans set the example. We're going to overturn the electoral college in four years. There's, there's that precedent. And I, I don't put it past her to do it, which is why I am urging my colleagues to think twice about this vote today. The precedent we set now, especially, and if you don't want to believe my argument, my constitutional argument, the way that I read the Constitution and believe the way the founders have set it up, and they were very smart. Uh, we have a balance of power. The Congress is not the judicial branch. We're not the executive branch. <laughs> um, there is very much a clear delineation on what power and authority each of the branches of government have. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm making my argument and I just, I hope and pray that people will understand that it's not about just today. It's not about yesterday. This is about our nation's future. And um, the grave consequences four years from now may mean that we'll never see uh, a Republican president again, that a state like California can overturn the electoral college of a smaller state like South Carolina. And we disenfranchise millions and millions of voters not only in my state, but in many other states across the country. That is the precedent we're setting today with this vote. And uh, I'm disappointed. I am. I'm heartbroken. But I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm angry, too, uh, because I don't want to lose my country. My kids and my country are worth fighting for. Congresswoman Nancy Mace, Republican from South Carolina, newly uh, sworn in Republican. Thank you so much for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. We really appreciate your candor, your directness, uh, and, and, and the forceful words that you just said. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on today. Thank you, Congresswoman. 
So, Rick, those were some really kind of, uh, she wasn't mincing words. And um, <laughs> I, 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 I think that that's going to be a big moment for Kevin McCarthy when, when, he, when he casts the vote. We know that, I mean, it's, you know, it seems to me there's, there's a path um, for some of these guys to say, to support the, um, you know, to support the idea of, of there being a challenge, a debate. But after that debate, on each one of those delegations, there's a vote of whether or not to accept those electoral votes. That's going to be a key vote. Um, and, and listen to the way listen to the way she put it. And this is not a this is not some rhino. <laughs> this is right. This is squishy this is moderate. A, yeah. Th- this is this is uh, uh, you know a conservative uh, Trump supporter, uh, newly elected to Congress, part of that that freshman class that Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans are so proud of. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, this is, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be a moment. I mean, it, it, it's hard, it's hard to argue with what she just said. Yeah. And it, and coming from a point of, of principle and constitutional principle makes it different. And, and this, this is, this is where the rubber hits the road of Trumpism versus conservatism versus political reality at all. It all comes down to, to this moment, a moment that President Trump has forced. He is forcing the issue. He has forced this loyalty test on his party, on his way out the door. He has decided to make it, um, make this mess for his party. Um, and a lot will be said about his role in Georgia and whether he cost uh, Republicans the Senate. Um, th- he could cost them a lot more yet. And I think that's the concern you hear from from Congresswoman Mace um, is one of her first votes is exactly that. Uh, it's in some ways an up or down vote on Trump, but in her view, an up or down vote on the Constitution. An up or down vote on the Constitution. Yeah. These are these are these are the quotes from the, the House and Senate floor uh, today and maybe into tomorrow, I think, are going to be ones that we hear echoed for a long time. They're going to be quoted as precedent for a long time. They're going to come up in primary debate stages in 2024, no doubt. Uh, and and yeah, the, the principles at stake here are, are enormous. And, and, and it starts uh, because uh, Josh Hawley, above all, in the Senate uh, was the first to come out and say that he would join these objections, which will force these votes. Uh, Ted Cruz, of course, joining that effort very soon after Hawley. I just want to close with uh, the words of of somebody uh, who for, for decades has been one of the most prominent conservative uh, voices in America, uh, obviously somebody who was also broken with Trump uh, uh, some time ago, uh, but, but, but a serious uh, conservative, George Will, um, somebody who uh, I think we could go back and argue that maybe Ted Cruz is not even elected to the Senate if it weren't for George Will coming out and, and writing glowingly of him as he was launching a long shot bid for the Republican nomination in his first race. Um, George Will uh, writing um, in his Washington Post uh, op-ed this week, um, on Wednesday, the members of the Hawley Cruz cohort will violate the oath of office in which they swore to defend the Constitution from enemies foreign and domestic. And then George writes in the last line of his op-ed, they are its most dangerous domestic enemies. This is a battle royale uh, 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 among among conservatives, among Republicans, and uh, and, and I, I think that uh, I think the stakes are enormous. Uh, that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics, the very first Powerhouse Politics of 2021. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you to Avery Miller and Trevor Hastings on our entire Powerhouse Politics team. We will be back next week, if not sooner.